Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the In His Footsteps podcast by myself, Mikhail Ahmed Smith. This is a class exploring and studying the Prophet wasallam's beautiful character, how he interacted with people, and how he won their hearts. If you enjoy this podcast, consider donating to Qalam Podcast, inshallah, so that we can continue to do this work, inshallah. Jazakumullahu khair. Keep us in your du'as. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina wa Nabiyyina wa Mawlana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbak. وَحُبَّ مَنْ يُحِبُّكُ وَحُبَّ عَمَلٍ يُقَرِّبُنَا إِلَىٰ حُبِّكْ يَا أَرْحَمُ الرَّحِيمِينَ We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for His love. We ask Allah to give us the love of His Habib. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is Habibullah, the beloved of Allah. And the purpose of this, this new series we're starting is to develop and cultivate that love for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because if we get that love, the rest is easy. When you love someone, you, you, you imitate their ways, you do what they want from you. And if we love the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then that's the, that's the best gift that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala could give any of us. Um, so we're studying the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's character, his life, and how he won the hearts of those around him. And last week, due to the loss of our beautiful brother Hadi, uh, we spoke about the Prophet ﷺ receiving revelation. The Prophet ﷺ receiving revelation. And we also spoke about how the Prophet ﷺ cried. How he cried. Now, again, for some people it may be like, you know, why, why do I need to know that? And there's two ways to approach this. The one is, one approach is that we know so much about everybody else. We know so much about random people that are famous for whatever reasons and hats off to their accomplishments. But what do we know about the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to give us this message? What do we know about the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala selected and chose to teach us our way to salvation? So from one perspective, when we know so much about the world, and you know so much about people that don't know you. What about the one who spent nights crying for you? What about the one who spent nights crying for you? And that is how he is described as he would spend the nights crying for his ummah, me and you. People that he never saw. And the other perspective is to know how he cried helps me understand how someone to emulate. Someone to emulate. For me, it's more personal, and it'll be different for everyone. In one narration, the Prophet wasallam he said, I am a father for you, I teach you. And as I said last week, and I'll repeat this because I want it to deeply penetrate our hearts, that the Prophet wasallam he's the father, so to speak, for our akhirah life, not this life of the dunya. And so we owe him so much, and we owe him to learn and love who he was. Today's halakha, I want to talk about two aspects of who he was. Because this is the beginning of this series, I want to focus on the early moments of his life. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. By the way, hold up, before we get started. 
This is a halakha where we will be saying sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so much. And there's a hadith I want to remind you of where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, the one that will be closest to me on the day of judgment will be the ones who did the most salawat or prayed for me. And I don't know about y'all, but my deeds ain't that great. But at least if I can get in that group by just sending more salawat ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what are the shabab cheat code? Cheat code, alhamdulillah. They're like, how you get here? I was like, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's how I snuck in, alhamdulillah. So we want to look at his early life. Before he was a prophet, as a young person, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him as a child and a young man from certain vices so that he would be ready for prophethood. But Allah also, 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 he also made him go through certain things. And I think tonight it would be beautiful for us to look at what he went through as a young person. Now before I get started, I want to say one more thing and we'll get right into this one part of his life. They say that the seerah never changes. The stories that we'll read, many of you have heard them since you were young children. In fact, some of these stories we'll talk today, I read them to my children at night. But you know what? First of all, some of us converts, so we're like, bro, I ain't heard none of this before. Alhamdulillah. Second of all, the stories don't change, but you change. And because you change, the story hits different. The story hits different. You may have heard the story a dozen times. Don't approach the story like, oh, I heard that before. La, you're not the same you you were when you heard it last year. And so you may gain something different from the story if you come to his life with that openness to learn more about who he was. So we're going to first of all look at some of the early moments of his life, what shaped him and lessons we can learn from that, number one. And number two, because we spoke about how he cried, it only does justice to speak about how he smiled and laughed. How he smiled and laughed. The, the intention is what here? The intention is that your love gets so strong that you see him in a dream. If you get it. One of the brothers came up to me this morning. I ain't going to look that way. Because he's here. And he said, Sheikh. Oh, yeah, he's here. So he said, yo, Sheikh, you know, you said the intention was to see him in the dream. I was like, I sat up. I was like, word? What happened? He was like, yeah, I had a dream last night. I was like. <laughs> and he goes, I saw you. <laughs> I saw you. I was like, bro, my bad. <laughs> don't worry, man. We, you know what I mean? I don't know. Next time it's Sheikh Omar or something. No, right? <laughs> MashaAllah. MashaAllah. I didn't even want to look his way. Beautiful brother. May Allah bless you, inshallah. Ameen. All right. So, Bismillah. I want to start. Obviously, this isn't a Sira class. We're taking snippets and portions of his life that we can take lesson from. But I want to begin with how his life begun. We all know that the Prophet وسلم, when he was born, his father, Abdullah, had already died. So he comes into this world without that father figure. Without that father figure. And I want some of you who had a father that wasn't there 
connect to the prophet who had, didn't have his father there. So right there, you have a way to connect. Every time you listen to him, you're, it's where your connection lies. So he comes into the world and the only one there is his mother, Amina, who's there for him. And the Prophet wasallam, at the age of six, his mother um, took him to Medina. Oh, prior to that, Afwan, forgive me. The Prophet wasallam, the first thing that happened is that the Rasul they had this habit that they would give their children off to a wet nurse in order for the child to grow up outside of the city in the more open area, the more pure Arabic language. So they weren't caught up in all the vices of the city. And so we all know the story. It's a beautiful story of Halima Sa'adiyya. She's from the tribe of Banu Sa'ad, which is further away from Mecca than Ta'if, in the direction of Ta'if, but further away. So Halima Sa'adiyya, radiallahu anha, she tells us this beautiful story about when she came to Mecca in order to take a child. And I want to relate the story to you because I, I know you maybe have heard it, but it's such a beautiful narration. Halima radiallahu an, she says, and I'm reading her words. She says, Kharajat, that we left from our city. Um, we left from our city in order to go to Mecca. And she says that I, I had my husband with me and we were going in order to look for a child. And the idea was if we took a child to wet nurse, then we would take this child back and then the, the father would take care of it. He would take care of us and pay us for that work that we did. She says, but this was a, a year that was extremely uh, dry. There was no rain. And so it was really hard on us. And she says, we didn't have much. She didn't have much. And that's why they were going to get the child and hope to get money. She says, I went out on a white mule that I had. And we also had one uh, 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 camel. And she says, Lena, that's all we had. And she says, Wallahi, ma tabidlu bi qataratin. It didn't have a drop of milk in its udders, no milk at all. And she describes her plight. She says, We wouldn't sleep at all at night due to our children crying. Because they were so famished, they were so hungry that they would just cry. And she says, There was nothing in my breast to give them nourishment. And there was nothing in the camel in order to feed them. But she says, and these words hit me when I read it, she says, She says, but however, we were hopeful of, of relief. And this is, a, this is a beautiful quality that we all have to have. That in the darkest moments when seem, theme, things seem bleak, that we can never, ever lose hope. And she says, you know, things were tough, but we are, right, we're we going to make it through. Things would get better. We were hopeful. So then she says, we were hopeful. So she says, we went out, we kept going, we went to Mecca, and we arrived. She says, She goes, every single, this line, she goes, every single woman in our tribe was presented the Prophet wasallam. He's a baby, he's a young baby, he's a suckling baby. He's a... He was a suckling baby. 
He's a suckling baby. And she says these words. I want you to think about who it is. She says, there was no woman in our group except that they were presented the Prophet وسلم, and they rejected him. They rejected him. They didn't want him. And they used to say, he's a, he's a orphan. How are we going to get paid from his father? He doesn't have a father. So why would we take him? So, so I, I need you to understand that when people overlook you in life, it doesn't speak of you, but it speaks of their inability to see the greatness within you. That's what I, listen, all of, <laughs> no, seriously, seriously, just a lot of times in life, you will get picked over. You will get looked on. Somebody, you ain't going to get picked. She's going to be like, no, I want to marry you. Real talk. Or whatever it may be. You get last to get picked up in the basketball game. I don't know. There will be moments in life where you're overlooked for the promotion, whatever it may be. But one of the aspects of who our Habib وسلم, was, was he was someone that was overlooked because people couldn't see what this child was going to become. And I think all of us need to hear that sometime. Let me make it easy. She said that, so everyone passed by him. So she goes, there was no woman left. All the women that came with me. All of them got a, a child to nurse. It was time to go. We're like, we got to leave. She says, I said to my husband, I don't want to go back empty-handed. Everybody got a child. They're nursing. It just doesn't look right. So she goes, you know what I'm going to do? Wallahi, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get that, that yatim child, that poor child. And I'm going to take him. Her husband says, La alayki antafali. La alayka bismillah. Go ahead. No big deal. Go ahead. I support you. I'm here for you. So she says, I went back. And then he says these words. La alayki antafali. Asallahu anyaja'ala lana fihi barakatan. See, this is heavy. This is the, see, there, subhanallah, he goes, maybe Allah will put barakah in him for us. I just, I, I love how he's staying positive. Who knows, maybe Allah will put barakah. And lo and behold, she goes, so I went back, I grabbed him. And she goes, wallahi, there was no reason for me to grab him, except for the fact that I didn't want to go, go home empty handed. She goes, I grabbed him, I took him, his mother gave him to me. I took him back to where my camp was. She goes, and I placed him in my lap. And she says, immediately, I started to feel milk in my chest. Fashariba, and he, he, he latched on. And he began to, to suckle. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And subhanAllah, now that, that, now that she has nourishment, the two other, his brother and sister, meaning Halima's own two children, they begin to drink too because now she has milk. She says, Hatta rawiya, everyone was full. Thumma nama, the children went to sleep. Wama kunna, she says, and before this, we didn't sleep at night. Then my, my husband, he got up and he went to the camel and he says, all of a sudden, the udder was filled with milk. 
This is another miracle. And, and here I, I want to highlight something here. There's a hadith of the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, see, he used to say, Bring me the weak people. Bring me the poor, bring me the weak people. Bring them to me. Why? I want you to know this hadith. The Rasul he said, Indeed, you are helped divinely, divine providence, divine help comes, and you are provided because of the weak people amongst you. There was a man, there were two brothers. There were two brothers in the time of the Prophet. I don't think we understood what this point means. When the Prophet was brought, this, the weakness of him, the Prophet ﷺ is telling us that there's people in your life that you need to support, whether they're young or whether they're old. And the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us that you don't realize in your mind, man, they're cutting into my check, they're cutting into my time, they're cutting into who I am. And the Prophet ﷺ is saying, I'm here to teach you the reality. The reality is that these weak people that you take under your wing and you help out, they are the ones actually bringing risk into your life. They are the ones, actually, there were two brothers. There were two brothers in the time of the Prophet wasallam, And they had, they were, they were brothers, but they had different characters, like every brother. And so one of them, he used to sit with the Prophet wasallam all the day, all time. That's what, he didn't want to do anything else. That was his thing. And the other one, he was working on the farm a lot. And so in this moment, there are moments, of course, and we'll talk about this. But in this moment, the two brothers, they come. The, the brother who works a lot, he comes and he goes, Ya Rasulullah, I got an issue. He goes, what's the issue? He goes, my brother here, he, he's all, he doesn't help. He doesn't do anything. He's not helping. And then the Prophet said some deep words. Now, and I want us to understand this in balance because we will talk about the importance of work. That's no doubt. The Prophet taught that. But in this moment, he had to teach a deeper lesson. And the deeper lesson, he says, La'allaka turzaqu bihi. He said, you don't realize that perhaps He's the reason why you're getting more rizq. I know people that live this reality. I know people with three, four children. He adopted another child. And, and I'm like, Habibi, he's like, rizq. Rizq. He goes, wallah, he brings so much rizq. He brought his rizq. My, 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 my teacher used to say, you don't realize. Subhanallah, before the child comes, there's no milk. Literally, the child comes, the rizq comes with it. The risk comes with it. So this hadith is profound. The hadith reminds us in this moment where the baby Muhammad Sallallahu was brought in. It reminds us of this reality that if there's people in life who you have to support, never ever doubt that that is an opportunity for you to get close to Allah, number one, and never doubt that they may be the reason why all that, those promotions is coming and all that help is coming and everything is opening up. So the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, Innama tunsaruna, indeed you are helped. Wa turzaquna, and you are provided for. Bidu'afa'ikum. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ibaghuni, bring me du'afa'ikum. I want all the weak people around me, bring them to me. Y'all don't want them? I want them. Why? Because he remembers, he knows where he was. And that's why I said we're studying this part of his life. And some people are like, what does it benefit me to understand like, him as a baby? But you don't understand. Like, he knows where he came from, and that shaped who he was. And that gives us insight to who he, sallallahu alayhi wa was. He was the one overlooked by everyone, 
but he was the one when somebody did take him in, was the source of immense barakah and blessings. So then she continues to tell the story. She says that uh, they saw so much barakah, um, they brought him home. And when they brought him home, well, um, the same night that they get milk, the husband goes and milks the, the camel. And he says to her, and these are the words that he said. He says, Ya Halima, uh, I think he says to her, uh-oh, I think you just got a very blessed soul. And she says, I think so too. And from that moment, they saw so many blessings. One incident that is narrated is that on the way going, their, their, their camel was so weak that they were holding the group back. In the moment that they were coming back, and now they have the blessing of Muhammad wasallam with them, all of a sudden, the camel is moving quick, and the group is trying to keep up. And they're saying, did you, switch, did you switch mules in Mecca? She goes, no, it's the same one. And they said, something's up with it. When they got back to Banu Saad, they used to graze the animals, and um, they would notice that her, their, their, their sheep would come back full with, with, uh, with food, and thereby, thereby producing milk. And so the other people in the tribe used to tell the shepherds, why don't y'all just follow the shepherd of uh, Halima's? Because what's going on? And they would come back empty. But the, 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 the family of Halima, their, their goats and animals would come back full. And so they saw so much blessing. And so I wanted us to reflect on that. If you are being looked over in life, know that that is just one more connection you have to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet stayed with Halima for a few years until the incident of the splitting of his chest happened. And the moment of his splitting of his chest, Halima radiallahu anhu, when the angels came and washed the heart of the Prophet in that moment, Halima got really scared. And she was worried because this is an amana, this child is not my child. And so she rushed back to Mecca only months after having begged Amina to keep him with her because of all the barakah she saw. And so she rushes back. She goes, oh, I think it's time to drop him off. I think he's big now. And she's like, hold up. Something's up. How did you just switch up on me like that? What happened? And he goes, no, it's just, you know, he's big now. And she pressures a little bit. And she goes, no, something did happen, and I'm worried. So she says, you're worried about him? Something happened? She goes, no, nothing's going to happen to him. I saw amazing signs when I was carrying him. This is a special boy. There's something special. When the Prophet was six years old, this is heavy, we need to connect to this. A six-year-old child is cognizant of what's going on around them. They don't, they're not missing anything. When the Prophet was six years old, he was taken by his mother to Medina. Um, and they went to their maternal relatives in Banu Najjar. And they stayed there for about two months or so. And uh, when the Prophet, he remembers it so well, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that he, he says, that's where I learned how to swim. There were wells in Medina that he used to dive in and swim in the wells. And he says, I learned how to swim in that vacation that we took to Medina. So the point is, it's cognizant. He remembers this. He's recalling it very well. Well, it's time to leave. And they're going back to Mecca. And on the way, his mother falls ill. And she dies on the way in a place called Abwa. And, and I, I want us to understand the loss now. Today we're going to talk about how much he smiled, and it's amazing when we study it, but I need you in this moment to connect to the pain that he went through as a young boy. He doesn't have a father. 
He's overlooked as an infant. Tayyib, he can't remember that. Okay. But then when he comes back to his mother in those years now, he only has a few years with his mother before she dies and he loses his mother. At this moment, he's given over to his grandfather. And his grandfather, and this is the point I want us to all connect to, his grandfather recognizes how much he's lost and Abdul Muttalib does what? He honors this boy. Because just because people have lost someone doesn't mean you can't come in and fill the gap and make them feel like they've lost nothing. It doesn't matter who you've lost. What matters is who you have around you now. And all of us in this room could be there for someone. Abdul Muttalib used to have a little spot that no one could sit except him. And all of his sons would sit around, and if anyone sat on it, they would push him away. One day, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was young, he's seven years old, he comes and sits there, and everyone's like, move, move. And, the prophet, and, and, and Abdul Muttalib uh, goes, leave my boy alone. And he was the only son, grandson that was allowed to sit there. He's able to benefit from this unconditional love. Two years later, he passes away too. He loses someone else. He loses someone else. He loses Abdul Muttalib. Now, I want to focus on this moment because at this moment now, he's passed over to a loving uncle who we all know in the seerah, Abu Talib. And Abu Talib serves as this, this protection. We spoke about it last week. Abu Talib was his outward protection, but Khadija was his in-the-house protection. We'll get there, inshallah. When the Prophet ﷺ was around 12, he did what everyone does. He got busy with earning livelihood. He got busy with taking care of alleviating some of the burden of Abu Talib. And here's what I want to focus on for a moment here. The Prophet ﷺ, one hadith, this is in Sahih Bukhari. He's about 17-ish, 16, 17-ish. And I want to focus on this moment. One day the Prophet was with the Sahaba. This is later in his life, way later. He's a Prophet now. The Sahaba are with him. And Jabir bin Abdullah, he says, Kunna nabi. We were with the Prophet ﷺ in this one place. And we were knocking down leaves off a tree for the, for the goats and the sheep to eat from. And the Prophet sees us doing it and he goes, Alaykum bil aswad. Make sure you hit the, the, the black leaves down. Those are really good for the goats. Now, everybody kind of looked up. Like, we know you as a prophet. We know you. You teach us the religion. But how do you know about, like, feeding goats? So they said, فَقُلْنَا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ كَأَنَّكَ رَأَيْتَ الْغَنَمِ Ya Rasulullah, it seems that you used to, uh, uh, what's it called, shepherd goats and, and, and sheep and stuff. And the Prophet ﷺ, he replies, he says, Naam. He says, yes. He says, there's no prophet, no prophet is ever sent, except, and these are his words, He goes, is there any prophet except that they were, uh, they were a shepherd? Now this is deep because with the scholars, they highlight that when he was 16, 17 years old, in another hadith, the Prophet wasallam. They say, Ya Rasulullah, you did this? And he goes, yeah, I used to shepherd animals as a teenager for qaratit, a few pennies for the people of Mecca. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because this is heavy. The Prophet ﷺ is teaching us that when he was young, 
This is something he did to earn a living. And he mentions, number one, about how little pay he used to get to do it. Meaning he's just doing an odd job to make money. But the scholars highlight something which is deep. What is the wisdom in all of the prophets having been shepherds? They say the reason why Al-Anbiya were shepherds of, of, of sheep and goats before Nabuwa is because it taught them and built within them a few qualities. Focus on these. He says, The very first thing that they learn is tawadah, humility. This isn't an honorable job, so to speak. This isn't trade, this isn't commerce. This is taking someone's sheep out to the desert and finding, finding places for pastures for them to graze. He says they learn tawadah. I want to talk about that, humility. Listen to this. And through dealing with this herd, they learn the qualities that they're going to need later in life as a prophet of Allah, dealing with different people. They say, They get forbearance. Number, number three, they get shafqa. Subhanallah, the, the shepherd has to be forbearant on this group of, of animals that are scattered. And not only are they scattered, they don't really do what's best for them. And so now the shepherd has to have love and concern for each and every one of the flock, number one. Number two, the shepherd has to deal with the, the, the silliness or the, uh, the randomness of the flock, but still wish for their well-being. And so, you know, one of the scholars, he says, إِذَا صَبُرُوا عَلَىٰ رَأِيهَا They have to have patience and they have to gather them together after they have been scattered. They have to find Places for them to be nurtured. You know, one of the things that I, I was thinking about is as he's taking these animals out and looking for somewhere to, to, to nourish themselves, he doesn't know where there will be nourishment. But he has to lead tawakkal on Allah. He has to lead a flock. So connect to that. Understand there's a deep connection here. So some of the things I wanted to reflect on. Number one. Taking these animals out, reflect on the quietness of the open desert. As a young boy, young man, he's taking these animals out, but it's nothing but nature around him. Number two, he has to lead this flock that tr has to trust him. This flock that has to trust him and look for him to protect them from dangerous things and provide the nourishment for him. And the next thing, he has to develop a love and an understanding for each of those, those animals. After taking these animals out over and over again, he gets used to the, to, the, to the temperament of each of the animals. And now knowing them and keeping them in mind, he has to take care of them and take them to what is best for them. It reminded me of a hadith. There's a hadith where the Prophet speaks about his job as a prophet, and you can see the connection to him growing up as a young man, having this job, and how all prophets were shepherds. In one narration, the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, wa He said, the example to me in my ummah, like the comparison, like a person who kindled a fire. So the, the moths and the uh, mosquitoes and different gnats, they start to come to the fire and 
Obviously, they're attracted to the light, but the moment they get close, it burns them. The Prophet ﷺ, he says, this is the example. He goes, I've, the fire is lit and I'm around the fire trying to push y'all away. He's trying to push us away from the haram, push us away from the things that are detrimental to our soul. But what are those flies? What are those mosquitoes? What do those insects keep doing? They keep coming back. They keep coming back. They keep coming back. And then the Rasul ﷺ, he said, It's like I'm holding you from the back of your, your thobe. I'm holding you and I'm trying to pull you back. But you keep going forward into that fire. You're not stopping. You're not holding back. And so here, subhanAllah, the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he is a, as a shepherd. Now one of the main qualities, the part of this, this series, we want to study the qualities that he had. And one of the main qualities that they say the shepherd learns is the quality of tawadah or humility. And I want to talk about this humility because throughout the life of the Prophet ﷺ, humility was something that was embodied in every moment of him. And I want to share some of those moments. There's one hadith I came across narrated by uh, Shaykh Yusuf al-Nabahani. He narrates a hadith where the Rasul ﷺ was on a journey with three sahaba. And the Prophet ﷺ, he ordered the sahaba, he said, See, here's the thing before I go into this. When you look at the Prophet's humility, he never wanted to distinguish himself from the rest of the people. He wanted to be one of the people. He never saw himself as separate from them. He was one of the people. So every opportunity he gets, he gets, I, I, I'm just one of y'all. That's the humility of the Rasul. So in this narration, the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, hey, uh, I, let's, let's make a, uh, let's, let's have a meal, let's have a lamb. And so one of the Sahaba, he goes, okay, I'll slaughter it. The second one, he goes, okay, cool, when you slaughter it, then I'll skin it. The third one, he says, after you skin it, then I'll cook it. And then the Prophet goes, Tayyib, what I'll do is I'll go gather the, the firewood. And once he said that, all of the Sahaba, they stopped. They were like, Ya Rasulullah, we can handle the wood. And the Rasul, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he goes, Lad, you don't understand. He says, I, I know you could handle it. I know you could do it. But I dislike to be different than the rest of my crew, the rest of my people. I want to be one of you. I want to be with you. When they were building the masjid in Medina, when they first arrived, they were building it brick after brick after brick. They're building this. And when the Prophet ﷺ was building, he was helping them. And they keep trying to take the rocks from the Prophet ﷺ. And the Rasul ﷺ, he goes, stop. You aren't stronger than me. And you don't, need no more, you don't need more reward than me. You're not stronger than me. If you want to wrestle, we can wrestle. I'll prove it to you. I'm stronger than you. And on top of that, I need the reward too. Humility. Humility embodies who he was. Adi bin Hatib. He says that he, was, he came to Medina in order to accept Islam. This is towards the end of the life of the Prophet he says that he came to Medina in order to accept Islam. And Adi is this high-profile figure. His father is Hatim al-Ta'i, who's well-known. And when Adi comes, everyone's hyped. Adi is here, Adi is here, Adi. It's a big deal. He says, the Prophet ﷺ, they told him I was here. He came out and he met me. He grabbed my hand and we began to walk into the city. We began to walk into the city of Medina. And he says, he says, as we began to walk into the city of Medina, an elderly lady stopped Adi, stopped him. And she said, 
I have to talk to you about a few things. And he said, okay, talk to me, what is it? And, and Adi says, فَوَقَفَ لَهَا طَوِيلًا This was the humility of the Prophet ﷺ. He stood there for so long, the hadith says. And he listened to her and he helped her and he listened and he listened. And Adi says, I knew, I was on the fence about accepting Islam. He says, I knew in that moment that this man wasn't a king, he was a prophet. Because of his humility. Because of his humility. In another narration, it says that the Prophet ﷺ, a lady came up to him, an elderly lady, and she said, I have something I need from you. And he said to her, he said, sit in any of the streets of Medina and send someone to get me, I'll come and I will take care of your need, whatever you need. And they said, he said, in the streets, because it's an open place. But he didn't tell her to come to him. He said, I'll come to you. Humility of the Prophet So if we look at this moment, this moment is a moment of working. He's, he's earning a living in order to support uh, his family. And the job that he's doing is something that's teaching him how to deal with other people. Now, there's something deeper here, though. I think we can also reflect on how as a young man, the Prophet ﷺ is working as a teenager. He's not being sheltered and told not to work, but rather he's learning the importance of earning a job or earning a living and taking care of a family. And what I want to connect here is something that we fail to understand is that if young men and women aren't serving, then they're going to always expect to be served. They're going to always expect to be served. And one of the things I often say to our mothers, may Allah reward them, is if you treat your son like a prince, when he gets married, he's going to think he's a king. And so, no, real talk, real talk. Part of the prophet's young life is a simple job where he's earning pennies, providing for the family, earning pennies, providing for the family. And this is so contrary to what happens in so many of our cultures here when someone says, I made it so you don't got to work. Tell that boy to shovel some snow. Yeah, I ain't got snow down here. <laughs> Wash a car, do something. Earn a living. Stand on your feet for a few hours so you know what it feels like. Stand on your feet for a bit. And, and this is what shaped who he was. He was out in the desert trying to earn just a few bucks in order to alleviate what Abu Talib was going through. This is what made him who he was. Now check this. If you don't think it translates, let me share something with you. There's a narration that we talk about what was the Prophet ﷺ like as a husband. Now listen closely. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she says, somebody asks her, qila li Aisha, Mada kana ya'mal Again, we want to walk in his footsteps. Let's be real. She says, someone asked her, Oh, Aisha, what was um, he like at home? What was he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, like at home? Now, I want you to make the connection. We saw how he was as a teenager working hard, not expecting any handouts at all. Working hard, grinding, as we say. Now, how was he as a husband, though? She says... She goes, and she uses the word bashar, not rajwit. She goes, he was a guy like other guys. And she goes, Yefli He used to clean his clothes, patch his clothes. 
He used to take care of his, if his clothes had a hole in it or something, if he had to clean it, he would clean it, he would patch it. Meaning he didn't walk in the house like, oh, it's got a hole on it. Oh, can you take care of that real quick? La, she goes, the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he would, at home, he would yafli thawba. He would clean his own clothes. And then she goes, وَيَحْلِبْ shata, And he would go on his own and milk the goat. He would go milk the goat. What I'm trying to show you is that the young Muhammad وسلم, was one of I do it myself to provide. And the older Muhammad وسلم, as a husband was not one to say just serve me now. And I understand as a parent the compassion we have towards our, 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 our children. We want to give them everything. But we have to instill in them qualities that will make them the best human beings. What made us who we are. He would milk the goat himself. And then she says these words, and these are not, these are from Aisha's words in the Sahih. She goes, Allahu Akbar. The word is khadama. Yahdim means serve. He would serve himself. Now, how different is that in contrast to our culture? How different in that is contrast? And when we talk, I spoke about this briefly last week, when we talk about one of the reasons I wanted to walk in his footsteps is to get that true picture of prophetic masculinity. The Prophet Wasallam's idea of in the house is I'm serving everyone and I'm not expecting to be served. And that's who he Wasallam was. And what I want us to understand is, again, I'll say this, this statement again, if moms, and we love you, we love our mothers, but if you treat him like a prince, you're creating a wreck, man, for that wifey who's going to be his wife someday. The narcissistic tendencies of being served and under, oh, I should be, don't even know how to turn the laundry, the, the, the washing machine on. You'd be like, yo, turn the dishwasher. I don't know how to do that. Bruh, for real? Real talk, brothers. Real talk. Real talk. The prophetic, she says, he used to do, serve himself at home. Stop asking your mom to make you tea, bro. Go wash your own clothes, man. And I see a lot of the older heads nodding because they understand what this creates inside of a man. And so this, I, the reason I brought this up is because when we look at him working as a young man, it created who he became as Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam this was a moment in his early life that shaped who he would become. The role of a shepherd is one that has to look over different people. The shepherd has to care and watch out for danger. This is what pre prepared him for what he would be. The role of the shepherd is to have deep love for everyone in the flock. Now, how do we connect to this, me and you? There's a hadith. Kullukum ra'in wa kullukum mas'ul All of you are shepherds and all of you will be questioned about the flock that you are leading. About his humility, I want to read a beautiful hadith. And the hadith I'm, I'm reading to you is one of the most descriptive narrations you will ever hear about what he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam was like. Pay close attention to this narration. The narration is reported by Hind ibn Abi Hala. Now let me tell you who this is. Khadija radiallahu anha had sons from a previous marriage. And when the Prophet ﷺ married her, those sons were in the house. 
And these sons fell in love with Muhammad The same way Zayd fell in love with the Prophet So Hind narrates this hadith. Now, Hassan, the son of Ali, he says, I didn't tell my brother, but I low-key went up to my uncle, Hind, and I asked him, can you describe, sifli, can you describe the Prophet for me? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he says, I kept it low-key. I didn't tell my brother. Hassan was trying to get one up on Hussein. Like Ayman and Akram right here, right? right? He'd be going to the halakas without the other one. I was just joking. So he was trying to get one up on him. He says, after some time, I told my brother Hussein, hey, I went to our uncle Hind, and I asked him to describe me, the Prophet He said, like, oh, yeah, I've been did that. So he goes, oh, really? He's like, yeah, I asked dad, too. Dad was Ali, radiallahu anhu. So now Hussein actually knows more. So he says to Hassan, Hassan says, can you tell me your hadith now? He goes, yeah, I'll tell you my hadith now. And so this hadith is where Hussein radiallahu an asked Ali to describe the Prophet And I want you to focus on the humility because when we walk in his footsteps, you can't walk into his footsteps till you walk in the door with his mentality. You walk in your house with his mentality, now we're walking in his footsteps. So listen to this. قال الحسين Hussein radiallahu ta'ala an he says سألتُ أبي I asked my father this is a long hadith but it's detailed take notes and re remember it عن دخولي رسول الله I asked him what was the prophet like at home sallallahu alayhi wa sallam قال كان إذا آوى when he would come home جزأ he would split up his time Allahu Akbar he would split up his time. Thalatha, ajaza'a, into three portions. SubhanAllah, I want to stop for a moment. Don't front. How many videos on YouTube have you talk, watched about how to spend your day? How to divide, divide my time? How I stay productive as a Muslim? I don't know, right? <laughs> I already know. How come we've never heard this hadith about how he split up his time? It's an epic moment for some of us. So listen closely. He says, he would split up his time into three portions. Juz and Lilla. This is when he was home only, home in the house. Juz and Lilla, one portion of time for Allah. Wajuz and li ahlihi, one portion of time for his family. Wajuz and li nafsihi, and one portion of the time for himself, his own needs. Thumma, then he would take his portion and split that in two. Allahu Akbar, okay. Half of his portion he would give to people from outside the community that needed him. And then he would keep that half of a third, right? What's that, a six, right? right? He would keep a six, right? He would keep that six for himself. Now listen. Qala. For what would he do? He would allow people to come and visit him. And he would bring people that had to see him who had any needs. Some people had one need. Some people had two needs. Some people had so many things. He was busy serving them, talking to them. Inter what do you need? Talking with them. This is deep. He would busy them in what was good for them. 
So he would give them things to do that would be good for their akhirah. Hey, why don't you work on this? Why don't you focus on this? Why don't you do this? And he would tell them what they needed to do in their lives and to help them. And then he would say to the people in the gathering in his home, Whoever's present, make sure you tell those who aren't present. And whoever has a need but can't reach me, if you're able to help them get their need to me, Allah will make you firm on the day of judgment. What he's teaching the people here is some people don't know how to express what their needs are. And if we become people that help them, we're helping them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make us firm on the day of judgment. He says that in this gathering, in this gathering, he would only let that go down. That's all that was spoken about. What was good for people, what they could do, what could better themselves. There was no like, like extra talk. That was for another time. And next, she, he says that, uh, then, uh, I'm sorry, and then Hussein asked Ali, okay, tell me what he was like outside the house, when he left the house. So Ali, radiallahu anh, he says, first thing, he used to be very careful about what he spoke. He would only speak about things that concerned him. He used to make people feel very comfortable. In a gathering, subhanAllah, I see so many new faces. He would make people feel comfortable. Make them feel. He would never ever push people away from the gathering. He, was out, he would warn people about things that would be harmful for them. And listen to this. If this is something we can act upon to become more like him. He used to miss people when they were absent. He used to miss people. Have you ever like missed a day at class and that one dude hit you up like, yo, Muhammad, where you been? And you wonder, subhanAllah, or have you ever been gone for a week and nobody even messaged? And you wonder, subhanAllah, do they even notice I'm there? The prophetic quality, anytime someone was missing, like, yo, where's such and such? Where's such and such? This is beautiful. He would ask people, hey, what's going on in the town? I think this was beautiful because some of us get this picture of just, he wasn't aware of what's happening. But it says clearly, what's going on? What's everyone up to? If something was good, he'd be like, oh, that was amazing. And he would strengthen it. If something was bad, he would, oh man, that's horrible. He would weaken it. He was balanced. He was balanced. What were his gatherings like? This is deep. Anytime he got up or anytime he sat down, there would be some little level of dhikr of Allah. SubhanAllah. Even at work. When he would sit down, we would get up. Every seating and everything, he would, he would remember Allah. Humility. I wanted us to focus on his humility. He's taking a sixth of his day and he's making that for people. Whatever you need, come. I'm here for you. Now the next part says that the Rasul If he came to a group of people that were sitting down, he would sit at the end of the gathering. I called you up, don't worry, I got you. He would sit at the end of the gathering. Now, but this is different for the Rasul, the Prophet doesn't want to be distinguished. 
So when he would come to a gathering, he doesn't want attention, everyone looking at him. So he would just sit right in the back, wherever there was, where everyone is, he would just sit right there. That's it. Stay humble in the back. No one even knows he's there. He didn't ever want someone to stand up, move their spot, and take, and he sit there. And then the narration says um, he would tell if someone wanted to speak to him in his gathering, he would sit there. Listen to this. This is beautiful. He would sit sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the person until that person themselves turned away and was ready to go. You know, sometimes someone's like, you could tell, all right, bro, dip, bro. All right, cool. <laughs> you got to go. I see you. All right, cool. Peace. La, he was there for you. And until you were done, he wasn't done with you. The greatness of the Prophet ﷺ is that he saw greatness in everyone else. And he didn't think of himself as great. Our problem is we think we're the main character energy again, right? We think it's all about us. And for him, it was, that wasn't the case. The narration says that he would never refuse anyone that asked for anything if he had it. And if he didn't have it, he would speak good words to them. He would open his character for them to the point where he became like a father to him. Um, last week, we spoke about the Prophet and how he cried. Um, this week, I want to speak about and highlight a part of who he was and how he laughed and smiled. There's a beautiful narration and chapter that I'm going to read from about what his uh, smile was like. I chose this one specifically because we read about how much pain he went through as a young boy. And if anyone has a reason to be upset and mad at the world, he does. If anyone has a reason, father gone, mother gone, grandfather gone, uncle died not believing in my message, you name it. But despite that, the narrations say this. Abdullah bin Hadith, he says, I never saw anyone who smiled as much as the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jarir bin Abdullah al-Bajali, he accepted Islam in the last year of the Prophet's life, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, every time I looked at him, every time, he never met me except that he had a big smile on his face. Now, there are narrations that say about his character that he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was da'imul ahzan, that he was always huzan, sad. So the scholars, they tried to reconcile how did these narrations say that he was always sad and this. The narrations are easy. See, when he was by himself, he was in thought. He was in deep thought about akhir, about life, about reality. But the moment someone came into his presence, it shifted to now I have to give this person what's best for him. And what's best for many people is they need to see that smile. And that's why the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, To smile in the face of your brother. You know, they say smiling is like yawning. It's contagious. You got to be working real hard not to smile when somebody smiles at you. Some of y'all, all right, cool, whatever, it's all good. It's all good, all right, cool, I got you. La, the Rasul gave you a smile because that is what's going to help the one with him. So when he was by himself, he would be in deep thought. He's thinking about Akhir, he's thinking about Allah. But the moment someone came into his space, 
Now it's not about me, it's about putting you where you need to be. So Jarir, Jarir bin Abdullah al-Bajali, he goes, I, I accepted Islam in the last year. And every single time I, I saw him, he was smiling. What was his laughter like? Aisha, she says, I never saw the messenger of Allah bellowing in laughter. Listen to this. When we spoke about crying, we saw that the Prophet ﷺ did not allow like this wailing, but he allowed crying. Similarly with laughter, it's balance. When you look at the Prophet ﷺ's character, it's balanced. So she says, I never saw him like, like bellowing in laughter. In Arabic, it's called qahqaha, uh, like extremely from the gut, deep, deep, deep laughing. La. So she says, however, when he laughed, you could see the back of his throat. It wasn't always that he just smiled, but he laughed, and you could see the back of his uh, uvula. In one narration, the Messenger of Allah would not confer, converse. He would not speak except that he would smile while doing so. I want you to picture him and see him. That's what you should be doing right now. The laughter of his companions while in his presence would consist of smiles without sound. And that was out of emulation and respect for him. When the Prophet would be taken in laughter, he would cover his hand over his mouth. He would cover his hand over his mouth. There are hadith narrations that speak of the Prophet laughing while his molar teeth were visible. But most of the time, his laughter was just a smile. There's a narration where the Prophet said, I know the first man to enter paradise and the last man, the first man to exit from hell. A man will be brought forward on the day of judgment and it will be said, present his minor sins or her minor sins before him or her. And the major sins will be hidden. Now the person is seeing their sins, their minor sins. Imagine that. The person will be seeing their minor sins presented. This ain't even the big sins. These are the small ones. And the angel will say, you did such and such on this day. You did such and such on that day. And the person will acknowledge them and say yes, and they will not deny them. But the person is fearful over their major sins that they haven't even seen. Then it will be said, give him a good deed. Allahu Akbar. Give him a good deed in place of all these sins. When the man hears that, he'll object and say, Ya Allah, there's sins you forgot. And you see how you smiled and laughed? The Prophet in that moment, he smiled and laughed so much that his molars were visible. When he narrated that hadith, when he narrated that hadith, he laughed. There was another, um, I really uh, debated whether to share this one with you, because I don't know if you could appreciate the humor in the moment, but I'll try my best. It was his sunnah. It was the battle of the trench. It was a war. We were being attacked by an oppressive group of people surrounding Medina. And the Prophet is fighting back. We're fighting back against this army that is attacking us. And on the other side of the trench, there was uh, one of the forces attacking. He was flaunting and walking proud with his shield. And he would put his shield and move it. He was taunting us, mocking and taunting us. And Saad, Saad bin Abi Waqas, 
he was a very good archer. So he puts his bow and he shoots. And right when the guy puts his head out, it hits him. And when he falls back, his feet go up in the air. Prophets start cracking up laughing. I don't know if y'all could appreciate it. I appreciated it. I was like, that was mad funny. Caught him. Feet go up in the air in the prophet's eyes. So them started laughing. The Prophet ﷺ, there's one narration I want to share with you, which is a beautiful one. This is an action you can act upon too, but the Prophet ﷺ, when he narrated this, he smiled and laughed. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. One time, Ali radiallahu an, um, his ride was brought. And uh, we'll wrap it up after this one. Ali's ride was brought and he put his foot in the stirrup. And when he put his, his foot in the stirrup, he said, Bismillah. So it's like, you know, you open the car and you say, Bismillah, right? And then he hoisted himself up and he took his seat. He got in the car, you could say, and he said, Alhamdulillah. So Bismillah, when you grab the door handle, I don't know, Allah. And then he said, Alhamdulillah, when he sat down. And then he recited, when he recited the dua that we often read when we're driving or riding in some vehicle. And then after that he said, Alhamdulillah three times, Allahu Akbar three times, and SubhanAllah three times, Allahumma inni zalamtu nafsi faghfirli fa'innahu la yag. Oh Allah forgive my sins, because no one forgives sins except you. When Ali, when the student narrated this, he smiled and laughed after this. And his students were just sitting there like, shakes tripping, whatever. And the, and the teacher said, why don't you ask me why I laughed? So obviously, the shake, why'd you laugh? <laughs> and the shake says, because when the Prophet ﷺ narrated this hadith, he laughed. And the Sahaba, who were better students than you, they said, Ya Rasulullah, why are you laughing? And he says, what caused you to laugh, Ya Rasulullah? And he said, your Lord is pleased with a servant that commits sins and then knows that there's no one else to forgive him except Allah. So the prophet, he narrated that hadith and he just said, <laughs> and they're like, Ya Rasulullah, why'd you laugh? He says, because Allah loves the fact that you know that you commit sins, but you know there's only one Allah to forgive you. So what was the dua? Hold on, hold on. Bismillah. Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah. The whole dua. And then, subhanallah three times. Alhamdulillah three times. No, Allahu Akbar three times. Alhamdulillah three times. Subhanallah. And then, oh Allah, forgive me. And only you forgive sins. The hadith says all of your sins are forgiven. And the Prophet chuckled. I narrate the hadith so that we can study how he laughed. We do this so that we can envision picture who he sallallahu alayhi wasallam was today we looked at his life as a young man what was he like what shaped him to be the one serving the family at home it was having learned how to serve people at a young per at a young age what made him so compassionate that he would look in a gathering hold on y'all i know time is up but hear me what would made him so much that when someone in the gathering was missing, he would say, where's such and such? Because as a shepherd, he was looking for lost sheep. That is what made him who he was. That compassion made him 
the compassionate prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and that compassionate prophet as a shepherd learned humility and that humility allowed him to not distinguish himself from anyone and say to an elderly lady wherever you need me I'll be auntie I'll take care of whatever you need me to take care of and that is what won the hearts of people May Allah give us love of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. May Allah give us love that allows us to embody who he was sallallahu alaihi wasallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make these gatherings a means of our forgiveness. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa li sa'iril muslimin fastaghfiru innahu huwal ghafurur rahim. May he allow us to smile often like he did. Amen. And laugh like he did inshallah. Jazakallah khair. I'll see you all next week inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.